1: Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Sachman. And I'm Evan Novi Williams. And this is the Blitzing Cleveland Sports Business Podcast, the Sportacast.
0: No Blitz Krieg, no, you know, the, the, uh, the Blitz in Cleveland, uh, mm, B minus. By I'll, the way, I'll take it. But I'm a very hard grader because we are having some tech issues and you did do your best there. You were like, you were de facto tech support right there. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I am going to bump you up to an A minus due to the fact that your B minus performance was conducted under such duress that you deserve extra
1: credit. Man, imagine if I'd put in an A introduction.
0: Right. Had you done a really good intro on top of all the other, you'd get your A+. But now at least you have something to strive for. Someday. Yes. So I guess the big news then yesterday, Eben's story, we broke. David Blitzer, uh, co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, New Jersey Devils, lots of other sports holdings, uh, is nearing an agreement to buy 35% of the Cleveland Guardians. And uh, by the way, I said this to somebody, and they didn't know what the heck I was talking about. They the Guardians? Yes, 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 Guardians threw them off. They completely forgot that the, uh, the Indians of Major League Baseball changed the name to the Guardians. They're like, what, what is that, a lacrosse league? They, were, they really weren't sure what it was. So yeah, no, no big, big time sports league, uh, 35%. But the important part of this deal is that after year six or after year eight, Blitzer can take control of the franchise. That is a very important wrinkle that was part of the Sherman piece of ownership. That uh, that of course you know that that went to the uh, the Kansas City Royals. Um, and of course, Major League Baseball rules state you cannot own two teams at once, which makes perfect sense. So in comes David Blitzer adding to a, an already abundant sports portfolio.
1: Yeah, we talk a lot about minority stakes, how hard they are to sell in some leagues. And one of the reasons being that if, if you own 5% or 30%, it just ends up being a very expensive season ticket in some ways. This is, is is one of those ways in which you really understand why having a minority ownership makes sense. If David Blitzer wants to own this baseball team... In six or eight years, and it seems like he probably will. This minority stake will let him do that. So not only is it a is it an equity piece in the franchise, and maybe some voting rights now. It is a, it is a potential path to control it within the next decade, and that seems really really valuable here, Scott. And just to kind of put a bow on on what you're mentioning there with, with John Sherman, as we understand it, this is a transaction in which Blitzer is buying buying shares both from John Sherman, who who bought the Royals, Fif- and
0: now- I, yeah, fifteen percent from John Sherman, yeah.
1: So he bought the Royals. He has to sell his stake in the Indians, or sorry, in the Guardians. And then there's also a chunk of this that is coming from the Dolan family itself. Larry Dolan, who bought the team, his son Paul now controls it. So so it's two kind of things happening at once here.
0: All right, Eben, I'm going to give you a math test. Yeah. We have said that David Blitzer is buying 35% of the franchise. Yep. I have now given you one, like A minus x b. I have given you one set data set here. And that is 15% coming from John Sherman. Can you tell me what percentage is coming from the Dolan?
1: Let me rip out my TI-89 right here. Uh, about 20, 20%, 20% from from the Dolan family. <laughs> Princeton do education, math, right?
0: not wasted. There you go. See, mom, yeah, yes.
1: paid off. Uh, pa- paid <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. And some interesting things here on, on, the, bl- on the Blitzer side, we reported, broke some news a few weeks ago that that a group that he is included in is in, you know, is is one of the finalists in serious discussions with major league soccer about buying Rail Salt Lake. Blitzer owns a piece of the Devils, a piece of the 76ers, a very small piece of the Steelers. Can you think of an, another owner that potentially if 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 this Guardians and Rail Salt Lake deal comes through, Blitzer will have an equity stake in a team in all five major U.S. sports leagues. I can't think of a single entity or person that, that we can say that about.
0: No, he'll lead the way because we will see it from the private equity groups, of course. So, you know that 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 will happen across all. But as an well, individual,
1: in NFL that might be a little hard, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be hard to the NFL, absolutely. But no, I mean it, that's why I said it's like this expanding sports portfolio. And as Sam Kennedy told us even before. Uh, Fenway's purchase of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, let's view these things as platform companies. How do they complement one each other? One another. How can you use one to do well with the other? What sort of synergies are in place? Uh, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, this this is obviously a longer term play, and, and the value again was John Sherman having the ability to have a path to control. So when you get that stake, that that transfers to David Blitzer. Uh, and sometimes in these deals, you know, they're worded where if you sell that stake, that does not go to the next buyer, but this one does. And as someone who, who knows what's going on with this deal that described, describes like he's pretty much just jumping into the John Sherman role, which is an owner that will have say that will have input that will be involved. This is not one of those sort of private equity passive stakes where you don't get a board seat. You can't really have anything to do with it. He'll be involved in the running of this franchise. He'll have a say. He'll learn the ropes, uh, what's going on there. And then in, if he's satisfied in six years and wants to take that path to control, great. If he wants more time, great. If not, you can sell it again. So, but again, it comes with that value of that path. So, uh, yeah, I mean, no, to answer your question, no, uh, no individual that I can think of has this sort of portfolio. And all I wonder with him is because I was so used to him being it was Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, right? It was always Josh Harris uh, and, and David Blitzer. And like Blitz is blazing his own path. There is a Blitzkrieg, uh, Blitzkrieg through sports here. I uh, can't wait to see what's next.
1: Yeah, I, I, we should also mention he also owns a piece of Crystal Palace, the English Premier yeah. League team. So not only is it the five major sports leagues in the US, he would potentially also have a, has a stake in, in in the English Premier League. Uh we don't know exactly the the number here Scott but Sportico value the the the, the Guardians around 1.37 billion, billion. 21st in the league, which kind of surprised me. Um I don't know why I would have thought that the Indians might be, uh, might be a top half in terms of most valuable teams in Major League Baseball, um, but that's clearly not the case. But, but 1.375 was our valuation, and I would assume this deal is right around there.
0: I would say right around, if, if I had some birdies whispering, I would say a little bit lower, you know, just a little bit lower to get you in. You know, and, and again, stake, yeah. Yeah, minority stake right now, but it does have the path. Um, but six years is in two years. You know that so um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say probably around the 1.2 number is where it's going to be. but um, yeah, anytime you can bring in not only the capital, but somebody like David Blitzer, who has the know-how and expertise from other leagues, best practices, uh, you have to feel good about it. as and you and I have talked about this before, when everybody's looking for capital before the private equity world was involved. It was sort of, what else do you bring to the table? Everybody's got the money. But if I'm going to bring you in as a partner, what's the specialty? What's the know-how? What's the value add that you bring? And you would have to think, would you not, Mr. Novi Williams, that when you bring in somebody like David Blitzer with all these other holdings, he certainly has good insight into the landscape of global sport, what's working in one place, what's been tried elsewhere. He can then bring that knowledge infrastructure to this property.
1: I think that's 100% right. And, and a quick question on on the path to control, how do those clauses work in these contracts? Is it I assume there's no strike price written into this deal here that says he's he can buy the team in 6 years at this price? Is it predicated on the two of them agreeing to a fair market value? Is it predicated on on some kind of independent arbitrator putting a value on it? How exactly does path to control work if you're not putting a set price into these things?
0: I would like to say it is whatever Sportico says it's worth at the time, that will be the number. (laughs) I would like to say that I can't because that is not the way it's being done. But as you know, these are complex negotiations, up for negotiation. Oftentimes it can be two independents and the average of of the two, um, but you got to figure that they're, they're already partners. Um, there may be some other things going on, some borrowing, um, and some leagues require some debt covenants require there to be a look at the valuation of the franchise every two years. Maybe they can go by that. So I, I don't know the answer. I can tell you that there are many vehicles already used for things like that. It can be negotiated or you can go that independent, uh, generally it's not one person, it's two and you take the val- or the average value of the two.
1: So speaking of Sportico's valuations, uh, a new update from for Kurt Badenhausen and the Sportico team uh, last week, uh, updated the NBA rankings. No change at the top of the NBA in terms of the order. The New York Knicks remain the most valuable NBA team uh, in the league, $6.12 billion. The, the Warriors are second, six point oh three. The Lakers are third at five point six three billion. Uh, some pretty good appreciation, Scott, in a year in which you know COVID certainly challenged uh, the, the pocketbooks of NBA owners. What jumped out to you from from Kurt's most recent numbers?
0: Yeah, I, I think the, the multi over six. I mean, right away because, and this is what I love about what we do. This is obviously built on data. It's built on relationships. It's built on conversations with lots of people in. But still, it's a best guesstimate as to, uh, as to what this would sell for. And it's still incredibly difficult or nearly impossible. And that's why Kurt does such a great job to value the scarcity as well as sort of that, that uh, trophy asset. Like what if, if the New York Knicks came, came free and forget about the building because you know, that's part of the separately, separately publicly traded company, if the New York Knicks come to the market what would it go for? I've had, I talked to two top-notch sports executives today. I am talking upper echelon, really smart people who have been doing this. One said, you're insane to think the Knicks would go for six, and the other said, absolutely would go for six. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take the so, middle and six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so
0: I absolutely love the fact that, you know, who knows? I I happen to be on the side of when a an asset like this comes on the market because it's a generational thing. You may have to wait another 30, 40, 50, 60 years for the New York Knicks to come on the market, which is why Joe Sy pounced on the Brooklyn Nets when he did. You, you just can't count on that happening. It's, just, it's why Steve Ballmer jumped on the Clippers and paid what people thought was an outrageous $2 billion at the time. Um, I'm of the opinion that it would hit the six mark if this went to an open auction, a global open auction, would solicit a bid of at least $6 billion for the Knicks. How about you?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably right. So some things that jumped out to me here, three of the five most valuable US sports franchises are NBA teams, uh, which is pretty wild to me. I think that might surprise some people. The, the Cowboys are number one at $6.92 billion, The Yankees are two at $6.75 billion, And then you have the Knicks, the Warriors, and the Lakers. Uh, so as we talk about you know the behemoth that is the NFL, uh, at least at the tippy-tippy top right now, There are three NBA teams that are worth more than the next most valuable NFL team after the Cowboys. Uh, So I think that's fairly interesting. Another thing just kind of to note, obviously, the new TV deals end up having a massive, massive impact on valuations. It's why all the NFL teams are going to get a huge jump from the $115 billion of TV deals that were just negotiated for for the NFL. That's 10 years of deals. I believe the NBA's big national TV deals are up after the 2024-25 season. Um, those might be getting negotiated a year early, maybe two years early, whatever it is at some point in the next five years, there's going to be a big boost most likely for all these NBA teams as they kind of hit their window to kind of reset the value of their live TV rights. And as a result, everybody shares in that equally.
0: How in the world can that be coming due? It seems like just yesterday I was sitting with Adam and Ted Leonsis when Ted uttered that line, there's never been a better time to be an NBA owner. That seems like three (laughs) weeks ago. It really does, and yet, like we're we're already discussing now the negotiation for the next NBA deal, and the media landscape, Eben is just absolutely fascinating. Who's going to be involved? Which companies are going to be involved? How do leagues want to go about reaching their existing customers while expanding to that younger audience? How do you position? Um, you, your games, uh, and I'm like, here's a little example. Like the NHL got, you know, their their great new TV contract with ESPN and and Turner, but as part of that deal, in exchange for the money, many games had to go sort of ESPN plus exclusivity, and that happened like for the first time. There was a Ranger game that was exclusive the other night, and my buddy called me and because he he knows like obviously this is what I do, and he's like, I can't find the Rangers, you know, he's like what ESPN what the plus. heck is going on? I can't, yeah. And did he was still, and I, I know he's like an older guy, so it's you know it's not the young demo, I, I get it, but he was annoyed, he was ticked off, he wasn't going to sign up for ESPN plus he was just annoyed that he couldn't watch his Rangers like all day he was excited. I forget what game it was I, who did there was a that's how you do these Barker things, you know you, you put on quality games. I don't remember if it was Toronto or whatever, but it was a marquee game for the Rangers, and he had set up his night, he really. Just wanted to sit on the couch and and watch his Ranger game, and man, when he was he was annoyed. But you know, his his kids, you know, they'll all have these services. You know, by by the time that 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 is still yet to shake out, the the sort of the bundle of the streaming services. That are now at a point where you might as well have just stayed with your cable bundle.
1: And we we talked with Kurt about this on the on the Friday Twitter Spaces happy hour that we're hosting every every Friday about this idea that the NBA, from a national TV standpoint, obviously in line for a, a much bigger deal than the the nine year twenty four billion dollar deal that they have right now. But on the local side, we've talked a lot about. RSNs and, and kind of the potential collapse of the, of the regional sports network market, that will affect a lot of NBA teams as well. So depending on what team you are, depending on what your your local TV broadcast situation is, uh, there's a chance here that you're looking at a really, really nice tailwind from a national TV st- standpoint, and then also kind of a, a pretty stiff head, headwind from a local TV standpoint.
0: And you are also got to examine who your customers are. You know, who are they? How are they, um, how are they touching your product? Uh, I've talked to, again, the many sports executives about my son as the focus group of one doesn't watch a baseball game, but knows every baseball player because he watches or plays the show on Xbox. Same. All the kids on his hockey team. You know, we're playing Saturday, Sunday. So nobody is sitting down and watching a football game on Sunday. Right. None of them. So we finish the first game. Invariably, we need to go kill a few hours before game two. So we go and find a nice lunch place. What are all the kids doing? They're not even watching the games on TV. They're all, even though the game, like if they just look up and there might be a lesson here for them long range in life, if they would just look up, they could see multiple games being played on you know, the TVs in the restaurant. But what are they doing? They're all looking down at their phones while shoving French fries in their faces because they're getting their alerts for their fantasy team. You know? So that's how they're consuming. They don't need to sit and watch the game on television. What they care about, it's just sort of the updates. It's, it's, that, uh, it's that old thing with the young folks and the, and the short attention spans. Just just give me red zone on my phone. Like they just want to know how many points do I get? Who's going to score soon? And I need to know where I stand.
1: The the Trevor Zegers goal could be happening on the game in front of their faces, but they're not going to see it until they until they it pops up on their phone. Uh, so let me ask you a question here because I asked Kurt this on. Our wait, whoa
0: whoa 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 yeah. whoa! I'm not going to let you get away with that. You you can't just say Trevor Zegers. You, you mean Mid Fairfield Trevor <laughs> Zegers? Is uh, that what you meant to uh, say? Uh, not uh, the Bucks. alumni of the same
1: yeah. same team that your son plays
0: for. Yeah, Mid Fairfield <laughs> alum. Trevor Zegers, yes, and let, let's say that did get a lot of plays around the the rink uh, the day after.
1: Got it, got it. Important disclaimer there. So a, a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot here because I'm, I'm fascinated to hear your answer because I was also fascinated to hear Kurt's answer. We have now done all five major U.S. sports leagues. This is the the average value of those five of a franchise in those five leagues. The NFL is the king at 3.5 billion. The NBA is next at 2.6. Major League Baseball 2.2. Then the NHL, 930 million, and Major League Soccer, 550 million. That is not a surprising order. NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, MLS. At some point in the future, if that order were to change, what's the change that you see?
0: Oof. Um, what's the difference between MLB
1: and NHL? Uh, MLB is 2.2, NHL is 930. So more okay. than double.
0: More than double. And so I think you could make the case. Because the NHL just did its TV deal and MLS is coming up, I, I would surmise that if one were to, in NASCAR fashion, pass the other under a yellow caution flag, right? You know, whatever. <laughs> uh, changing the rules midstream, hello, F1. Um, I would say that... Hey, do you like that broad-based yeah, knowledge yeah, right nice, there? Because nice. I'm not an F1 fan, right? Uh, Max Verstappen, okay, all good. Um, I would not be shocked... Although I'm a big believer in the NHL in a digital world, so but they just did the deal. So, But I would not be shocked if creeping, creeping, if I, you know that objects in mirror are closer than they appear. If I'm in the NHL car looking in my mirror at the MLS car, object in mirror is closer than it appears.
1: Interesting. So, So Kurt's answer was he thought, he was like, wow, it's a tough one. He said NBA passing NFL, he thought was the most likely NBA Change. passing NFL. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's a, right now, it's a it's a $900 million gap between those two.
0: And just based, I assume, global appeal and the ability to scale. And he thought yeah. it
1: was going to be this order for maybe 15, 20 years, and eventually that changes. His second answer was what you said MLS patching NHL. Uh, my answer was that. NHL passing MLB. And I get that there's a huge gap right there. There's a billion dollar gap between those two things. I am kind of bearish on MLB's future right now. And I'm also very bullish on the NHL. And that's the the change that I see. But maybe we put this on Twitter. I'd be fascinated to hear other people's thoughts um, because it is a very obvious order right now. And I think it is kind of hard to envision a future. My, my one thought on MLS, just to close the book on this, is that that $550 million seems to kind of already already baked into that is a lot of growth that is certainly going to happen ideally in the next five years with this new tv deal with the world cup being hosted uh, in north america in 2026 the, the olympics two years later maybe the women's world cup a little bit after that that seems to already kind of be baked into the price in some ways but i think it is really interesting to think about you know when this order does change at some point who is the league that leapfrog someone else
0: Well, I am not uh, too proud to say that Kurt is a lot smarter than I am (laughs) in in most matters, including this one. So, the fact that I picked his number two, like I feel very comfortable being in the number two hole, you know, with Mr. Boddenhausen. And if it so happens that the NBA finds a way to uh, make the Lithuanians and the Chinese and the Indians, uh, you know, pay pay more money to allow them to uh, eclipse. But don't forget, by the way, that and you and I, uh, we're talking about this. We're interested in what the NFL is doing to monetize the international markets. You know, they're not just. This is not sort of sit on your hands. Uh, there, there is there is a plan uh, at which we will find out pretty soon being developed in the walls uh, at the NFL for sort of a new media approach and uh, maybe equity in a joint venture with somebody or a new venture. So there is, there is, there, there is a path forward for the NFL that perhaps would have them catapult a, a little too far ahead of the NBA. I'm not saying it will, but I'm saying uh, I don't think we, we're not looking at stagnancy here, that th- there are conversations happening in all the halls of where are we, where are we going, how do we get there, and who can help us get there fastest. How so. about
1: how about that for a little teaser? Some thank you, some news maybe coming down the pipe. Uh, well, let's stick in the NFL, Scott, for our last topic. Uh, in the list of thirty-two most valuable franchises, you, you need to go down near the bottom to find the Jacksonville Jaguars, two point six five billion, according to our most recent numbers. Uh, team has been in the news for another reason over the past couple of weeks. Urban Meyer, uh, first-year head coach, a guy who obviously had a lot of success in college, was fired for cause. Uh, this week by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Kind of an interesting development in what was kind of a long running saga down in Jacksonville this year.
0: Saw it coming. I knew there was no way that Urban Meyer could possibly win with Mark Brunel and Tony Baselli. <laughs> I, I I just didn't think that they were <laughs> no, as, Throw, oh,
1: throwing to Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell. Yeah,
0: exactly. I just didn't think he could no, I I, I just uh, I'm not gonna pile on yeah, pile on Urban Meyer, you know. You had the off field incident. Distraction at the bar. You know, they weren't winning games. If they're winning games, that means nothing, right? Um, and then you have this whole thing, I kicked a player and I can do whatever I want. Um, you know, Shad Khan, I think he realized maybe a little late that this was a mistake, wasn't gonna work. But the interesting sports business, as you said, they fired him for cause. Now the interesting point will be, will Urban Meyer and his attorneys go after for any portion of that contract?
1: Yeah, it it feels like the kind of thing that, and we see this in college occasionally, not that often, but occasionally it kind of ends up in, in settlement. We don't have the exact wording of the contract, but I would assume there are some morals clauses in there. There's some kind of protection of the team's reputation in there as well. I mentioned college there, Scott. We've laughed about this before. It's so rare to see a college coach fired for cause. One of the reasons being that schools don't want to get the reputation as yeah, the, next guy the, the school. Won't come. Yeah, there's the school that will fire you for cause if there's X or Y issues. I think that a lot of those things just probably don't apply in the NFL. And I think it's I think NFL owners are probably, and I, if there was data on this, I'd love to see it. It seems like NFL owners should be in a position to more confidently say that a, a coach has breached the terms of his contract uh, relative to to how kind of unconfident or how rare it is to see it in the NCAA.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I don't think if offered an NFL head coaching position, it, I don't think the candidates are like, yeah, you know, I'm not so sure about this place because you know exactly. what they did before. Exactly. exactly. You know, one, it's like, that's not me too. I don't care. I just want the job. And you know, the numbers are pretty high and pretty good anyway. If you can get one of those jobs, you snag it and lock it up. So, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting just to follow and see how it develops. You know, again, my, Mike McCann loves this stuff, and we're fortunate that we can pick up the phone and you know, bounce this stuff off of him right away. How do you think it's going to play out? Do you know the language? What are the applying principles? And the best part is McCann, within like 30 minutes of it happening, has his story out. And then when people ask me what I think, I, I can have already read Mike McCann, and he can tell me what I think, which is what I've said for years with you. Don't ask me what I think on a sports law matter until I read McCann then I can make an educated decision. So it's nice to have access to his brain.
1: Yeah, we can wrap it up there. People should just, if they're curious for more on the topic, uh, go to sportico.com and read Michael McCann's story about Urban Meyer and what being fired for cause means and what might follow from a legal standpoint.
0: Yeah, this is when I do the Twitter thing. I think for him, I think he's at McCann Sports Law, so go find that. The other guy, he is Eben Novi Williams. You can find him on the Twitter at Novi ugh, underscore Williams. I am Scott Soschnick on Twitter at Soschnick, our social media editor. Cor Veltman loves it when I remind you that the show is at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Podcast Network.